It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host in the business, the most serious one, midwife extraordinaire, owner of Bliss Mall Incorporated, <laughs> Bliss... <laughs> Half the mall. My friend Bliss Young. Half the mall's closed right now. We, yeah, I know. I was going to ask you if the mall was still open. Yeah. How you the doing? Coronavirus is a thing. Wait, I got to go through the rest of the stuff here first. <laughs> Let me go through that. Email us at askdrstew at gmail.com or birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Social media, it's at birthing instincts on Instagram. For me and for Bliss, it's at birthing bliss midwifery. You can find us on Facebook too. And as I said before, I apparently have a Twitter account that I've never used. And you yes. don't and you don't do Twitter. I don't. Right. Yeah. And websites are birthinginstincts.com and birthingbliss.com. Uh, okay, so the mall I think if people haven't listened to us before is that Bliss is multi-talented <laughs> and she was going to she's all kinds of ideas. I thought she could open her own mall and just run every store in it. Yeah. Right. I'm a little tired. Too much puzzling. Too much puzzling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you finish the Vegas puzzle? Um Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay. Any births at all to talk about today? I did have a birth. I had a birth. It's her third um, home birth, but first one with me. And um, she actually had a baby born the first time with no kidneys. Oh, but was that diagnosed ahead of time? No. Oh, she must not have had any ultrasounds. No, then. no. Oh, um, how tragic. Yeah. That's tragic. Yeah. It's called Potter syndrome, actually. Yeah. And she actually, you know, we talked a lot about it because it's very interesting to me that someone, you know, because a lot of times when you have a demise, people will choose something very different for the next delivery. And she really didn't. She really felt like if she had gotten that information ahead of time, she wouldn't have been able to hold her baby right away. And, you know, so for her, it was absolutely the right choice. Um, She had a second home birth um, with Tanya Parsons up in um, San Luis Obispo for her rainbow baby Mm -hmm. and then moved down here and um, and hired me for her third delivery. And um, we, of course, bonded because of she was one of my clients when Sky died and one was one of the first people to come over and bring me food and really understood, you know, everything that I was going through. So. Um, yeah, she had her baby. So that's got to be rewarding for you. You've got the big smile on your face. I, it was a beautiful delivery. And she was one of those women who knew that she didn't want to do a water birth, which is also not really common in our practice. Most people want to have the tub set up at least at some point and want to try and labor in water. And she knew she didn't. So I love water birth, but that's it's also great. nice to not have to set up a tub and that's, break it that's down. That's really and sweet. So it was very simple and straightforward and... Um, Hayes and I had actually been doing a, um, a home visit earlier that day and she had been laboring, you know, daytime births are not that common and her contractions were like every 15 minutes. And I said, you know, we should just go down there, set up our equipment, check in with her, go have lunch, be in the area, you know, just in case. And, um, we got there and I told the dad, I said, so I think we're going to go and, you know, um, maybe have some lunch. And he goes, where were you thinking? And I could just tell he was not feeling it and I said I think we'll just order it in and sit across at the park or something because they have a park right across the street and um, we sat in the courtyard and her, their, one of their friends that was there came out and said by the way she's feeling like she might need to poop and I was like great we'll be right there 
you know, we were there maybe two hours or something. So it was beautiful, straightforward delivery. She was also a mom that did not want to use a fetoscope. I mean, a Doppler in, um, in pregnancy at all. So, you know, informed consent, I said, I probably won't be able to hear the baby's heartbeat for a while. And she was like, that's okay with me. And, um, and then in labor, you know, she wanted as little, um, monitoring as possible. So we did real, inf- you know, informed consent. That's a really about interesting that. thing that she didn't get inundated with, uh, with the fear that surrounds the, the, what happened with the first time when everybody sort of badgering her and that she still stuck with her guns. She's a very, she's unique in that respect, you yeah. know, in terms of like just really being able to truly trust her instincts and her faith and, um, know that, this is this is how she. Well, it works right to. most of the time. Yeah. And Potter syndrome is not something that's you know that's likely you know it's 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 random. It's not likely to occur, and so yeah. Yeah, most of the time that works out just fine. Yeah. Um, so. I have another feel good story too. Um, about two years ago, if you remember, I, I delivered a breech baby that was stillborn. Yes. And uh, uh, the couple ended up uh, having um, they got to they got pregnant again, and they. Got to 39 weeks. They chose to have a hospital birth this time, and they got induced at 39 weeks. It was a long induction, took a day and a half, and they ended up having a eight-pound vaginal delivery of an eight-pound baby boy. Yay! Congratulations. Uh, and uh, the it was great. It's just I mean the the universe was just so happy <laughs> for them and mm-hmm. everybody that was involved with the first birth and knew, and knew of, of what went on with them. Yeah. And the just word went out and the community is so, our community is so loving and warm and, and the, the it was an, it was an emoji fest, uh, festival. <laughs> <laughs> a flurry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. A well, that's nice that we, emojis, um, right. we had those two similar stories. So different paths, but yeah. got the same nice result. Yeah, and I that's mean, great. That's, that's what it's all about is being able to have the freedom to choose what feels right for you. Right. So we have a guest today, but before we get to our guest today, I have just two things I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who Jennifer Block is? Mm-hmm. Okay. She's an author. She wrote Pushed. She did. Mm-hmm. Right. She's got a great new article out. It's a long one. I know I'm probably five or th- 5,000 words or more um, that she gets, pu- she publishes articles like that. She did great. And, and it's called the criminalization of the American midwife. And I'm going to have Renee put the link up, um, both on the, I'll put it up on Instagram and on the Facebook page, but also on, on the podcast link so that people can click on it and read her article. Can we get her on? You know, well, she doesn't live around here. would have to be a, yeah. a phone call. Well, that'll be good practice for us. Yeah, we've never done that before. But we're going to have to do it more. Why? Because we're not going to be in the same state. I'm resistant to change. Well, you're the one changing, so <laughs> I don't know what to tell but you about But it's slow. That. I'm evolving. I, I get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. We can, we can, we could, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure she would come on. I, I know her, so I'm sure she would come on. I haven't on. met her in person, so that would yeah, be fun. It, it's great. We were at a conference together at least once or twice, I think. And um, uh, But it was really well written. It's really, really well written. Um, and uh, I encourage everyone to find it. You could just read in Jennifer Block, and you could Google her, and her article will come up. And again, it's called Criminalization of the American Midwife. Great. Um, then I got a notice from the... from. Um, the American Association of Birth Centers um, from Roseanne Gephardt. Do we know who you know who Roseanne Gephardt is? Sounds really familiar, but um, well, she wrote she she sent out a letter to birth uh, center supporters, and in you know in honor of our guest, I want to read this today because this is a potential issue that's going to be affecting birth centers, and it's one of those frustrating things about 
people want more government, uh, bigger government. It just drives me crazy. Okay, so she writes, Dear Birth Center supporters, Best Start Birth Center needs your help. That's uh, the one in Utah? Yeah. No, it's in California, I think. Oh. Yeah. Mm. To protect Medi-Cal women having access to the Best Start Birth Center. Best Start is the longest established, first state licensed, nationally accredited, freestanding birth center in California. The California Department of Health Care Services, or DHCS, has targeted this birth center and accused them of, quote, fraud and abuse, unquote, over their collection of payment for services Medi-Cal refuses to reimburse for, commonly known as, quote, non-covered services, unquote. This fee of zero to $250 is paid by Medi-Cal clients who choose to receive non-covered services toward non-reimbursable items such as water birth. DHCS has given notice that it is imposing a payment suspension and temporary suspension, which, if they are successful, will remove the option for Medi-Cal women to have their birth covered by Medi-Cal at the Best Start Birth Center. If the birth center did not accept Medi-Cal clients, these same women who want out-of-hospital births would have no option except to birth at home or pay cash for the facility fee, which would be over $2,500 at the hardship rate. While this letter is regarding Best Start, we are currently aware of five other licensed birth centers out of 11 licensed birth centers in California also being scrutinized in prosecutorial manner by the DHCS. How Department of Healthcare Services is serving Medi-Cal women if they are putting them in a position of having to pay cash for the facility fee rather than giving them the choice to elect to pay for non-covered services? Whose interest is DHCS serving? Best Start has repeatedly asked DHCS and the American Association of Birth Centers for guidance to ensure that they were properly defining non-covered services. In August of 2019, DHCS demanded that Best Start return the direct charged amounts to beneficiaries and provide proof that it had done so, despite the permissibility of charging for non-covered services and the fact that Best Start's clients were universally happy to pay for the requested non-covered services. Best Start properly provided detailed information to DHCS to identify the non-covered services and to ask DCHS for confirmation. Best Start repeatedly contacted DHCS personnel to seek guidance, but DHCS did not respond. All women, including Medi-Cal beneficiaries, are entitled to the highest quality holistic prenatal and postpartum care of their choice, even if this requires direct payment. The result of DHCS's action will deny many women in Medi-Cal programs the right to make this choice. We need to hold DHCS accountable for its targeting of birth center care and lack of support for Medi-Cal recipients to receive this non-covered service women desire. And there's a petition to sign, and I will put the link up to the petition. And the, the petition is is specifically, what are we, we're, it's just like a signature to know that we support? Yes, okay. su- we support the Best Start Birth Center. Mm-hmm. The issue I, you know, the big issue that I have with this, and we can ask our guest about it too, is what do you think the motivation is for them to go after a birth center who charges somebody a hundred bucks because for extra supplies or, or water birth or whatever? Why do you think that with all the problems we have in California, that this is their target? I'm a little baffled, honestly. I can't. I'm, That's because need- you're so sweet. <laughs> Seriously. So what am I missing? There's bigger fish out there that are telling them what to do. But it, how, we can't even be like that threatening, 
honestly, we're such a small percentage of, of, you know, like... Yeah, but as Augustine Kohlberg likes to say, they don't want it to become a larger percentage. Mm -hmm. This has to be coming from some government agency which is being lobbied by some industrial lobby for some, you know, big corporation, whether it's hospitals, Mm. the hospital lobby. I mean, do they really care that, that... that a Medi-Cal patient pays somebody zero to $250 and that apparently these, these fees are permissible when they're non-covered expenses. According to their... According to Medi-Cal rules. Yeah. And yet when the government comes after you, okay, you're talking major legal fees, you're talking major potential fines, you're talking about losing the ability to to do that, losing your licensure, losing, you know, even potentially a criminal complaint. Right. For something that people are eagerly willing to pay for, that they're doing it well, perfectly informed and, and, and voluntarily. Their, their care isn't being denied. If you don't pay me $200 for this water birth tub, okay, then you can't have care with us. They're not being threatened. They're not being coerced. And yet the, and yet the state of California is coming after them. Yeah, well, I'm baffled. Any of my listeners who keep wanting bigger government to come in and fix things, you guys have to have your heads examined. Please, please don't think before you support that sort of behavior because it only leads to problems. When has the government ever fixed anything? It's an open (laughs) question. It's an open question. Well, I'm looking at Bliss. Bliss is like got a blank face on. It's not one that I think I can answer. Well, that's complicated. That's and that's a political conversation that I think we're best. Well, to we're not. Yeah, we're not. We're not from. going political here. We're just saying well, that 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 the look at the, the the right and the left often want the government involved in things. Mm-hmm. All right, but I'm just asking a question: When has the government ever become involved in something and it got better? Yeah, that's okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Good. Okay, so <laughs> silence is uh, deafening. Uh, okay, so you have something you want to uh, talk about right now. So why don't you do your I, thing? Well, I would definitely want to welcome our guest. And I'm going to hopefully not butcher her last name. <laughs> um, Renee Sisig- Sechignano. Sechignano. See, I was going to butcher it. Yeah. You know, your um, last name is like uh, oxacillium for me. Yeah. Say that I mean, one. Most everyone butchers the last names. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I even wrote down in my notes here that R- Renee's here and she has the toughest last name in the business. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my original website was Renee the Midwife. That's all it was. It makes, so much easier. It makes perfect sense. I ask I, when I when I do a console for you and I have to type your name into the into the computer for the re- for the report. I always ask the clients, you know how to spell Renee's last name? And, and none no, of them know is none always of the a, answer. None of them know how to spell your last name. It's not that hard to spell your last name. It's very phonetic. It's just pronouncing it is different. Yeah. So thanks Welcome. for joining us. Thank you for having um, me. Renee owns a birth center in San Gabriel. Santa Clarita. And so SCV mm-hmm. birth Santa center. Santa Clarita Valley mm-hmm. birth center. She's a licensed midwife, certified professional midwife, and international board certified lactation consultant. Which one came first? Uh, my LM and my CPM was right behind it. I had been a consultant for a while before I got my actual IBCLC. That's awesome. Something Mm -hmm. I'm considering doing Mm -hmm. myself. Um, Renee has served the Santa Clarita and Antelope Valley community since 1999 and the founder of the first freestanding birth center in the area in 2010, which is when we opened our birth center. 
2010, same year. Um, over the better part of the past decade, Renee has cultivated a community that supports growing families with love, information, and options beyond the hospital. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I know we tried last time to get you to be able to come out, but you were birth tired. Yep. yep. Had had a couple of babies and had one this morning as well, but was able to make it here on time. She has a very busy birth center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But much and to her... Well, I was going to say, much to my joy, is the fact that you now have help. I have some help, which, which is really which great. Which for a long time you didn't have any help for at all. For all those years until really quite recently, yeah. Yeah, tell I've us. been doing it on my own. Tell us about the birth center. Tell us who's yeah. with you, what's going on yeah. now. And, and also, there's a differentiation. So Best Start, which is down in San Diego, is a licensed birth center. So we're not required to be licensed in the state of California That's as right. birth center. So I think what Rosanna says in that is that there are only 11 licensed birth centers in the state right so that excludes all of us that are not licensed and which most are mo- almost everyone that i know is unlicensed but there's correct. an accreditation which people don't want to confuse with being licensed correct which is not mandatory either correct right. yeah and most of the licensed birth centers um my understanding is they're all run by certified nurse midwives it's much easier or was much easier to get licensed as a certified nurse midwife versus a licensed midwife. Mm-hmm. So we are not licensed, but we are accredited. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's lots of hoops, not mandated, not required to be accredited. But we chose to do it back many years ago. I think we're going on our, I think we've been accredited for like eight years now. You have to do it every year, right? Mm, no, not always. Okay. It depends on when you get your original accreditation. But now it's every five years we have to renew or three years or something. Maybe every three years we have to renew. Okay. So, um, yeah. So we're accredited and I'm up there. I live right across the street from the birth center. So it makes it really easy to be yeah. able to do a lot of births. Yeah. And um, How many births do you guys do in a month? We average 10. Okay. Yeah. 10 and it's month. you and? Now I have Hava, who is a midwife that was trained down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I think she's friends with maybe one of your friends, Tanya, up mm-hmm. in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. And uh, so Hava's really awesome. She was trained here in California and then moved to Israel and practiced as um, labor support and did some midwifery work for 13 years in Israel and then relocated here back in August. And so we met via Facebook. Is that a relief? Yes. yes. It's really fantastic because it's a lot to do all of those births. Yeah, 10 20, births. You know, you're on call 24-7, mm-hmm. running the clinic. Gee, what's that like? It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. So I'm really thankful that we have some help. So Hava's helping me out, which is really great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've been a midwife now how long? Since 2008. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's when I got my license. And then you immediately decided you were going to do a birth center? I started, you know, I always knew from being little that I was going to open a birth center. Mm -hmm. But I was, 2008, I started a home birth practice. So I had that going for two years. And then I opened early in 2010 and started the birth center. Mm -hmm. And you love having a birth center? I do. Yeah. I do. I didn't. Yeah, my my model so. was a let's, bit let's, different. Let's talk about let's yeah. talk about the difference. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, my model I think was different. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, always had, it known. was you too, just you. It was just we me. Had, we had mm-hmm. group practice, so yeah, mm-hmm. it was just me, and my business model was very different. So I knew that I could do one birth a month. I knew that I had been doing home births, and I knew I could definitely do one birth a month. Mm-hmm. So I set my budget less than one birth a month. So how, for how your overhead, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of my smart. overhead was less than one birth a month. Mm-hmm. So I knew I could put gas in the car. 
Yeah. And then <laughs> walk across the street. And walk across the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when I was very specific, when I was choosing, because my kids were little at the time, and I wanted to make sure that they could walk to me if there was an emergency. Nice. So they were still in elementary school. Yeah. So um, it yeah, I was very specific at the location and the budget. My overhead was really low. Yeah. And I am smart. just raised up to be a workhorse. It's sort of part yeah, of my genetic makeup. Seems is, like I put more miles on my car in a week than you probably put in your car in a year. I Literally, I, I walk to my office. I know you do. And it's Me really too, super fantastic. So driving down here the, was a and the bummer. Hospi- the hospital's, what, four minutes away or something like that, too. One right? of them is l- yeah. literally, yeah, three, four minutes away. Yeah. What mm-hmm. is? One of the, the local, of the hospital local hospitals. Oh, hospital. And the yeah. other, the main yeah. hospital that we use is about um, 10 minutes away. Yeah, and that's Providence Holy Cross, right? Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, so super close. So so with your accreditation, mm-hmm. not licensure, are, are there any limitations on the type of uh, births that you can take? There are, mm-hmm. yes. We cannot do breaches or twins at our facility. And that's that's the license for home birth midwives as well. We can't. Yes, but you can, correct, but the yeah. family does not. So if we have a breach or twins and they're planning a birth center birth, they have to relocate to their home. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. With me. Sense. With Dr. Stu. Yeah. yeah. yeah with Dr. What about first. VBAC? Yeah. We can VBAC. Mm-hmm. There's no law in our accreditation, no rule that says we cannot VBAC. Oh, good. Okay, because mm-hmm. I'd heard mixed information on mm-hmm. that. There's there's mixed information on that, and it really depends. And actually, there's a new bill that's going up for the CNMs, I believe, to get supervision out of their law that's also putting on the table to remove... Oh, breaches and twins, not VBACs, but breaches so and twins. So making their law similar to ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, they don't do breaches and twins now anyway. But they can. Seriously? Yes. A CNM can do breaches or twins. Yes. It's not, as my understanding is, it's not in their law that they cannot. They at might this not point. feel comfortable. It's in the new language. Oh, because, you know, it's really interesting because when I get a referral from a CNM, one of the more popular midwives mm-hmm. we have in L.A., and, and for a breach, um, she won't even come as be the assistant anymore. She doesn't want anything to, she doesn't think it's, it, she thinks it's going to make, her, put her at risk for her license. Maybe liability no, rather than not, law. It's not liability. It's no. law. Oh. It's okay. law. You yeah. know what I'm talking about, I right? do. Yeah, 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 I do. And it's interesting because I do believe if you read the new language, which Rosanna Gephardt also just sent out an email to birth center supporters on the language. And it's in the language, this current language. It's very similar to our LM language. So removing supervision, 37 to 42, because currently they can do before 37 and after 42 is my understanding. And currently they can do breaches and twins. I've just found them to be slightly more cautious, though, and they, would, they, they wouldn't do those. In, what? That's in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I find that they're, they're and more, more cautious. Yeah. You know, and that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. But, the con- you know, so there's um, so my understanding is they currently can. But we'll see. What well, where are about. you all you CNMs? <laughs> Yeah, Where have you and if been? I'm wrong, it'd Help be interesting, me. but I, I believe that uh, that's correct. Where mm-hmm. have you been my whole life? Yes. Yeah. Um, so are you taking Medi-Cal at your birth center? I am not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what what was the deciding factor for you in not taking it? Um, the fear that they're going to come back and say, give us back our money. And mm-hmm. the billing aspects of it is a whole other, like we would need a different biller that's trained in Medi-Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, we're already quite busy. Yeah. And... Um, couldn't probably manage the caseload as one thing. Um, that's pretty much it. Like yeah. the billing aspect is really daunting to me. And they come in and audit. And if we did something wrong by accident, yeah, you know, the concern is that 
they'll ask for all their money back. And you are a well. Oh, not only that, but but with, uh, if it's similar to what Medicare does, if for every for every mistake you make in coding, oh, whether it's purposeful or accidental, it could be a ten thousand dollar fine. Oh gosh, you're right. So we just didn't want to go down that road. Yeah, and you were already es- established, and you were doing mm-hmm. well. You kind of had your business model, so it would have been a major like revamping for someone who's already busy and doing their thing and mm-hmm. you know and and, and, and uh, you know if i can interject i i think that you know the reimbursement that medical gives for the for the prenatal care and stuff like that makes somebody who's already busy it makes it almost impossible because you have to do volume in order to make it worth <coughs> worthwhile yeah and we already were you know we will prorate we'll pro bono so mm-hmm. we do certain we do a lot of gifting throughout the year for people that have some hardship. So we felt that we we're serving the community well already. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the the only way to really be able to do Medi-Cal, except Medi-Cal here, is to have a birth center. Is to have a birth center because the facility fee is, I think, double, maybe I even believe... triple of what the the professional fee is. No. Double. No. It's t- about 2500 Right. And for they, the facility. Right. But they only give you like 1200 Oh, I see. For the Double professional what fee. the professional. Yeah. Correct. Double. So someone like me who doesn't have mm-hmm. a facility anymore yeah. could, for for all the care that I would give, would get $1,200. But if you have a facility, then you can get $3,600, $3,700, which is more reasonable. Good math. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that basic was good math. good math. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, You're um, so silly. <laughs> Assuming they don't transport, because then if they do transport, oh. then you don't get the facility. My understanding thing. is you don't get the facility, so yeah. then you're just back to the yeah, yeah. So you can't per you just, prenatal. You just can't do each, it, and you don't yeah, always you don't get, get a the, global. You don't, you don't get the delivery fee either because you didn't do the delivery. Mm-hmm. Right. So then you have to unbundle to just you get paid out on your per prenatal visit. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's tricky. We should talk. We should talk to someone who is running a birth center about that because there's some interesting things like does it inhibit you transporting and all of that. But I want to hear mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because I was on Instagram or something and saw your traveling and mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about it last time we were together. And I just thought it would be really interesting to hear about how that was and yeah. how you got into it and why and what other people yeah. can do if they want to help out. And so right on. So yeah, right I on. travel. <laughs> right on. So I travel to Haiti. Yes. And I go now I go pretty frequently, yeah. especially now that I have some help in the office. My hope is that I'll go every few months. So I go now. I was going once a year and then I was going twice a year and I'll probably go four times this year. And I serve at a birth center in the north part of the island up in uh, Capetian. Mm-hmm. And I work with Mama Baby Haiti. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it evolved. I started going, I guess, probably seven, eight years ago was my first trip. And I went to Midwives for Haiti, which you fly into Port-au-Prince and then you drive up into the plateau of Hinch. And um, a lot of people know Midwives for Haiti. There's a school there. It was one of the first schools, I think, in Haiti for training Haitians to be midwives. Um, so I worked there and I went there a couple of times. What was the, when did you first go? Probably in 2000, I don't know, 13, maybe I went, Mm -hmm. it was well after the earthquake. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a school. So, so they would have midwives come in, you pay a fee, your volunteer fee, Mm -hmm. you live at this house and then you go over to the local hospital and you help serve in the hospital by your, your, basically precepting the students there. And then you could teach a class if you want back at the house, such as where the school was. They didn't at the time have a birth center. Mm-hmm. Now Midwives for Haiti does. 
um, in addition to the school. So I started going there. And what made you decide that that's something that you wanted to do? So I always have wanted to do global healthcare. Mm -hmm. So going and serving in developing countries is something that I always felt pretty passionate that I wanted to do. And I had to wait until my kids got a little bit older. So I was able to leave. And uh, a friend of mine invited me. She had been during the earthquake. She was a nurse at the time. And so I went with her. And um, the truth is, the first time I went, it was, it's really intense. And I came back and I thought, I am never doing that again. So tell us, what does that mean, intense, for you? So Haiti is the poorest country. I believe it's the poorest country in the world. It certainly has the highest infant mortality in the Western Hemisphere. Mm. So the level of poverty that you see is unlike anything you've ever seen, unless you've been to Haiti. Um, So the poverty is significant. The resources are none they have no resources there they have no supplies they uh it's a very corrupt country so we can't get supplies there easily i'm actually trying to get supplies there right now via a ship and um it's not working so well for me what do, do, is it confiscated is it confiscated by yeah it's tricky so we have to where you have to bribe people to get it through or that sort of thing yeah i mean it's we have to bring all of our supplies with our luggage Right. So when you can only carry a certain amount of weight. So I usually bring about 150 pounds with me when I travel. Mm-hmm. And then depending on who's looking at my baggage, when I go through customs, there is a bit of shakedown at customs, you know, look through our stuff, try to come up with a tax on it mm-hmm. and then have to pay for that. And there then, were air quotes there, by the way. Yeah. Air quotes <laughs> on the tax on that. Yeah. And then. And then just the physicalness of being in Haiti. So you can't drink the water. You can't brush your teeth with the water. There's no hot water there. The hospital has no supplies. There's no, these women are birthing on broken three-quarter gyne tables, you know, without mm-hmm. the, without, you know, like our hospital beds, but no, no foot part. Yeah. Um, one, I was talking about it today at a birth, you know, we were changing the chucks, you know, those blue pads, right? Yeah. Changing the chucks on this mom. And I have this habit of, not using a lot of chucks because in Haiti they get one right for their whole birth and their immediate postpartum one of those blue pads so and then they often run out of those so they have to bring their own piece of plastic so the hospital up in Hinch St. Therese the women would come in they have one garment right maybe one dress one pair of underwear broken shoes or not great shoes and they've walked like just the things that you see like they've walked for hours to get to this location and they bring a bucket and they have to put their own piece of plastic on the bed they have to take their own trash out they um there's no there's no water for them to drink there's no food for them to eat unless their family has some for them and it's 70 percent unemployment uh so it's pretty significantly impoverished yeah so that's really Initially, it's pretty intense and it's very crowded. So I'm from New York. So I'm used to like urban New York City, crowded. So it's like New York City with dirt roads, um, like Midtown, dirt roads, no no, um, stoplights and no lines on the street. And it's just chaos. It's Mm -hmm. it's probably like India. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hot. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of third world countries are like that. Yeah, so it's super crowded and hot and no 
resources. Okay. So, so it's you really went, intense. You went the first time. Mm-hmm. You'd been hate- a, you had been a midwife for five years. You'd mm-hmm. owned your birth center. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. you go and it's intense and you say, I'm never going back. Well, my first experience, <laughs> so we get off the plane. And this is your first time going. My first time. Mm-hmm. And we go into the hospital, literally, like think we'd been landed for maybe 24 hours. And they brought us over to the hospital and all the midwives were had a meeting. And so they left. There was nobody on this in on the floor. Basically, it's this little room that has four beds and some shower curtains that separate them. And um, there was a nail in the wall with a bag of IV fluids and Pitocin was running and no pumps. No pump, right. No pumps. And all the midwives left. And I don't speak Haitian Creole. I mean, I can say a couple words. And so they just, they birth communally, which is actually quite beautiful to see. That's something that I've come to really love about Haiti. All the women birth in the same room. Mm -hmm. And our culture, um, we think women need all this privacy and Mm -hmm. it's a very sacred event. And there they sing with each other and Mm -hmm. they encourage one another. So these four women that are birthing in the room, somebody maybe has as on her sixth baby while you have somebody who's having her first baby Mm -hmm. and one will birth and tell the other one that she can do it. And it's a really, when you don't look at it through our very privileged American lens, Mm -hmm. it can be quite beautiful. But initially, certainly as midwives and out of hospital settings, we, we have this idea of birth is sacred and it's beautiful and it's quiet and the warm water and all of those yummy things that we do in there. The concept that they would birth in the water is mind blowing because they first of all where do you get all that water right how do you get it hot and why would you waste it right and get in it like mind blowing Mm -hmm. and so so initially it was and you know hemorrhage is significant babies die you know we see babies die we see mothers die and it's not it happens and they have eclamptic seizures and no delivery rooms it's the one room that has With these the shower beds. curtains. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, so it's a labor and delivery room. I mean, when I was mm-hmm. when I was a resident of LA County, we had four people laboring to a room, and they had yeah. six, they, basically twenty four beds, and we often had more than that laboring at one time. We had people laboring in the hallway, and I rem- I remember that. But when they were ready to deliver, they were taken to a delivery room, and that's not something that happens in. No, nope, they deliver right there. Do they have an operating room? That hospital had an operating room, so there's they could go be put under general anesthesia. But most recently, the trip that I just got back from. So now I go to this other area and um, they do have an operating room. So I work at this freestanding birth center. So it's free services for all people, all prenatal care. It's run by Haitian midwives. It's fantastic. Where do they get their funding from? Um, People like me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we donate and I donate monthly and I travel there and my volunteer fees go to help keeping it sustained. Mm -hmm. So fundraising. Okay. And uh, the local hospital, though, so we had this birth recently, and the baby was having late decelerations and needed to transport. How did, how did you know? We're listening with a Doppler. Okay. Right. So we're listening, and I got woken up in the night. Hey, would you come listen to this baby? Um, we think we're hearing lates. So I go in. Of course, the baby's definitely having lates. And so here, normally, we have that. We go, let's go to the hospital. Yeah. So we say, let's go to the hospital. And then we check in. How's that mom doing? And she hadn't gotten she wasn't seen it was like 12 hours later and she wasn't seen yet and so we toured the hospital and there's one surgeon for the entire hospital all all everything everything. Mm -hmm. and the hospitals they do upwards of 40 births a night 
four zero births a night. Mm -hmm. They have no Dopplers. They have no blood pressure cuffs. They're listening with fetoscopes. There's one surgeon that's serving all of the areas in the hospital. So she couldn't even be seen until they finally left and went to another hospital. And that's a whole other story about um, illegally. It's a human rights violation by in the private hospitals. They, um, <coughs> if you can't pay your bill, they, they, they detain you. Yeah, your baby. Or they detain your baby, right? They detain mother and baby. You can't leave. And that's a big issue that's happening right now. But at the public hospital, which is the one that's closest to the birth center, mm -hmm. um, if they go in, so if we're transporting this mom, we give her money so she can pay for her surgical birth if she needs it. She can also pay. They have to buy their own IV fluids, tubing, any medicine they need. It, they don't have it at the hospital. So if you need to transport, the funding that the, the birthing center has supports the family in being able to transport. Additionally, it's they're hoping that there are some volunteers that brought cash. And so we bring, generally I bring like $500 additional to mm -hmm. go. And then we're either releasing people from hospitals or we're paying for their surgeries. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so how much so is... Many, uh, yeah, it just stirs so many questions in my mind. Go for it. May I? Uh, just mm -hmm. um, C-section rate couple percent you know yeah low i would i don't know the answer to that actually More, so it's you low. Know mortality from c-sections there i don't i know that they have the highest infant and maternal mortality in the western hemisphere but i know that our birth center our c-section rate is very low because you know we don't transport quickly these women are being served that you know we're treating at this well they're center. better off not being transported from what i understand which yeah. now it's time. really really true they're better off this woman who was having late d cells we should have just run pit and gotten because she was like nine centimeters we could have just pitted her and gotten the baby out you have you don't have anything like vacuums or anything like that there is a vacuum at the birth center there is how do they sterilize things that's tricky sometimes the autoclave there's sometimes there's no power right so in haiti it depends on what the government is feeling so it's there are no municipalities there's no you don't pay for utilities right so if the government's deciding that they're not going to give you power, I was there in November. There was a, quite a bit of civil unrest that time in northern Haiti. Port-au-Prince was closed. Like, you couldn't get in to Port-au-Prince. So up in Cap, we could get in. But um, we had no power. And if there was no fuel for the generator, you couldn't sterilize anything. You do the best you can. You do the best you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just do the best you can yeah. with the with what you and have so, at the time. Yeah. So the hospital right now, the public hospital, I'm trying to get them supplies. And so I was just donated by this lovely doctor down in Torrance who's moving. She donated her whole office to me. And so I have this giant autoclave that I'm trying to figure out if I can, I think I can put it in a suitcase. <laughs> I think it's less than 50 pounds. It might be 50. Anyway, I'm trying to get it there. Well, you can pay extra to, if it's over 50 pounds. You can use it. Yeah. Can, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I can do two seventy. The problem bags, is, is that it'll get it'll get inspected when you get there, and there's going to be some. And I'll have to pay, to pay for it once I get there, and yeah, so it's tricky. So they do have autoclaves at the birth center. There's an autoclave, but um, there's not always power. The hospital doesn't. I don't know. They're asking me for something to sterilize for their hospital. They want your help in bringing something. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they don't have Dopplers. Yeah, I was thinking like, oh, they're so good at that being able to listen with a fetoscope. Yeah, in the you hospital. Know. Yeah. The birth center, we, I just donated, you know, a bunch. So they have, we, re they rely on all volunteers bringing supplies. So I manage the supplies now for that birth center. How often do you guys listen? 
they the birth center has our okay. same standards. Oh, so okay. yeah, so their mm-hmm. protocols are great. So they listen every thirty and mm-hmm. every fifteen. Then after every contraction, they're excellent. Those midwives are excellent. Yeah. Do they keep charting paper yeah, charts? They keep paper charts. And um, the people that the president of Mama Baby is Jennifer Gallardo, who also started client care. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on, I believe one of their projects is to get all the midwives an iPad. Which is an EMR. They're, which is, yeah, yeah, electronic charting. Uh-huh. And so they're hoping to actually implement electronic charting over there. Um, they, because they, they do have but Wi-Fi. But they need electricity to charge their iPads. They do. And so there is a generator and there's some solar power at the birth center. So there's there. This last time, I just got back like four weeks ago, mm-hmm. we had power and the, the government had the power on during the day. So the generator was only running at night because in the night we, you know, having births, there's no power. So we got to turn those guys on. Yeah, I mean, the, the to me, this I mean, this this sounds like the purest form of medicine and the kind of thing that that for you people like you and I, it sounds very exciting to do. I'm and just, me, I, I'm just and, and well, you'll come, and you'll come with me. But I I'm I'm just curious. I am curious to think what would a doctor who practices at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston do if he showed up there? So I can tell you because the last time I was there, uh, this wonderful doctor from Yale was with us. She's the medical advisor. And um, we were doing a class on postpartum hemorrhage, preeclampsia, how to manage it. And she's teaching the midwives and she's doing births with me down in the labor room. And she's doing all the things she does and, but she's not doing surgery. So actually they're building a new birth center. And we were first, we were sort of like off the cuff saying we should have a surgical room, but now we're really they really do need a room next to the birth center that they can do surgeries in. Cause it's got to be so foreign for doctors who are used to working in American hospitals. So to but like, it's good. To, yeah, no, I think, I'm saying it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic, but I just think that these people will be like fish out of water. Like, what do you mean there's no blood pressure cuff? What do you mean there's no you know, right. fetal monitoring? What do you mean there's no, I mean, what do you mean there's no anesthesia? What do you mean there's no lighting? What do you mean there's no stirrups? What do you mean that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they, they wouldn't know... You know, I think that they would be, that there'd be a lot of baffling looks well, going on. there is. And it works that way when you go for the first time as a midwife. This, when I was there in November, some of the midwives, that it was all their first time. And it was shocking. And they were like, what do you mean we don't change our gloves that quickly? Or how can there only be one chucks? And where is this Doppler is so staticky I can't hear? And I'm surprised you even you wear, know? wear gloves. Yeah. They run out of gloves sometimes. I, I would suspect oh, it's, they, yeah. Yeah. they always run out of gloves. Yeah, yeah. We're wearing it for our protection. I was going to say, it's yeah. more for you than anything. Yeah. So I do have a, you know, I'm fascinated by all this and I can't mm-hmm. wait till I get to do it myself. Um, and one of the main reasons I think for me, besides just being able to go and do good work, um, is the unraveling of the cultural perspective that we have of it has to be done this way when we know and we talk to people all the time like birth is a totally natural thing we're mammals you could go and deliver with us doing absolutely nothing um the other part for me too is like especially here in california you know the feeling like you could you might care for somebody in a different way but because of the liability and the community standards and the perspective that we're supposed to control everything that it many times is out of our control you know just knowing that you do your best and people are grateful for what you can do and you know so 
I, w- I just love to hear a little bit more about how that has affected how you practice. So <clears throat> the first time I went, I came back and I was like, I, I recognized how hard it was. But then I also, what it did is it just starts to, exactly like you said, it just starts to unravel these ideas that we have about birth in our culture. And it really starts to break down how incredibly privileged we are. Mm-hmm. And um, so I then was going back annually because I'm running this busy practice and I deal with a certain demographic where they need all of these things for them to think that their birth can be great, right? Mm-hmm. They have their diffusers going and their mm-hmm. massage therapist and their chiropractors and, oh, you have a headache, so make sure you're drinking enough water and get your electrolytes and get into chiropractic care and get your massage. And then you go to Haiti and you say, do you have a headache? And everybody has a headache. And what do you say? Mm-hmm. You can't say drink more water because they may not have it. Adjustment. <laughs> and they're wearing things, you know, they're carrying their water on their head and mm-hmm. they're, they're not getting chiropractic care. Right. So it just really brings it to, it just reminds you that birth works. You said that earlier, like it just, birth usually works just fine and we don't need anything. So when my clients say, oh gosh, you know, I ate a couple of apple seeds in my juice that I got from Whole Foods. Am I, did I get too much arsenic or something? It's like, the perspective is, do you have, do you live in a, I say this, they're, they're worried about their stress, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We, our, our clients are concerned that their stress level is going to affect their babies. So my standard response is, do you have a place to live? Do you have access to clean water? Do you have a vehicle and a support system? You have all those things. You're fine. You're fine. This is not. Gives you a completely different perspective. Yeah. On things and, and right. Yeah. And do you ever get annoyed. Women, if oh sure, I can just see it. But she, the, way <laughs> yeah. she, the way she just described, the way she was talking. Yeah, even, even, I know. I just want to hear really, her say it. Like, it can it's be like, really, uh, especially when I initially like the transition back home yeah. is often difficult for me, and I do, I do, I just, I hope that I don't. I wouldn't say, yeah, yeah, sure, I get annoyed, but I hope that I bring it to the clients in a way that they, of course, they can you, really well, hear you do. a midwife. You do. You're, like, it's, you're exceptional. It's really like let's check that situation. You're okay. You're really okay. Yeah. And you don't need all these things. Your body works just fine. It's designed to do this. And um, Well, that's 80% of what we do anyway. Yeah. Is reassure people that everything's okay. But I don't knew, you know, yes. I don't know how you are, Bliss, but I get really wrapped up in it sometimes. And, I, and I'll get more concerned about liability and go in sooner mm-hmm. and worry, make sure my charting is really on point, which my charting is always on point. But I, I get stuck in our privilege sometimes. And I forget that birth can be normal. Mm. And um, I think it's harder with a birth center. I don't know why. I think, I I think you're more, this is how I felt. You're, you're more, you have the spotlight on you more when you're in a birth center situation. And especially when you're sharing care with other midwives, it's, it's just, it changes things a little bit than Mm. when you're, when you're, it's just you and your client. You know, in terms of like thinking about that perspective, right. that's all I'm saying. I, I guess it's I a little harder. I guess I don't really relate to that because it's never been me sharing with another midwife. It's always been just me and my client because I've never had any other midwives until now. Until now, yeah. So, <laughs> so now I'm starting to understand that a little Maybe. bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, tell me too, like what. What are some of the concerns that you have for yourself when you go? You mentioned a little bit about, yeah. you know, 
when we were talking about coronavirus, you know, mm-hmm. that you have that perspective anyways, because there are other things that you can pick up um, yeah. from surfaces there. But what are things that you have to consider for yourself in going if if we were talking to other people who might want to do this and volunteer? What are considerations? So, so, you know, so one reason I went back in November was because I was asked to lead a team and it, this past January when mm-hmm. I was there. So I went back with a different perspective because I go, I'm fairly fearless. I travel alone. I, you know, I don't, a lot of things don't bother me. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I went in November with the perspective of a new person who's never been before to see, because for myself, um, I find Haiti to be very safe. I have no issues with traveling there. I don't feel like it's dangerous. Um, but there's malaria and there's dengue fever and there's, um, women have HIV. They're tested every trimester for malaria and HIV. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Uh, syphilis and HIV. Um, so I was dealing with a woman who had syphilis and I was holding a baby that was born with syphilis. Um, so we wear gloves all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, you can vaccinate if you want. You can take your malaria medicine. You can do yellow, yellow fever. Yellow for fever. Sure. No, it- no, typhoid. Not yellow fever. Oh. Typhoid. So it's not yellow fever. It's typhoid in Haiti. Yeah. Because yellow fever is in Southeast Asia. You, you mm-hmm. get vaccinated for that. So in Haiti, you get, if you want, you get vaccinated against typhoid. And you can take your malaria medicine. Mm-hmm. You can make sure you're vaccinated against hepatitis B. Mm-hmm. Um, all your heps if you want. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's not something that you feel not, that you do? I, n- I probably shouldn't publicize it, but I no longer take my malaria medicine when I go. Okay. Um, I did get a typhoid vaccine the very first time I went, but I've not, I don't know how long that lasts and I have never boosted it. Okay. And, um, what about, yeah. what about, uh, accidentally you, is there, is there cholera there? Do you take, do you, do you yeah. pack in, you pack antibiotics and things in your personal bag that you could take if you needed something? Um, I personally don't anymore, but the birth center, ha- antibiotics are very easy to get. Anybody can walk into a pharmacy and buy anything. And all antibiotics, I bought lidocaine there for a buck. Pitocin, all the things you need for birth are is there, it, but antibiotics it, are it, easy uh, to get. Are they, is it quality controlled? I mean, I mean, do they? Do you know that you're actually getting what you're paying for? And you're making your it face. It never occurred to me that I wouldn't be getting, okay. never occurred to me. That that's because not they're what just, it was. They're probably in little white plastic bottles, right? With, with they're no, not, they're they look like ours. They do. Yeah, okay. uh, the medications all have lot numbers, and I mean they look like ours, so I would assume it's what it's what it says. Never occurred to me that it wouldn't be, which is a concerning. But well, if you think about if you think about yeah. like you said the black market and all that stuff that people could be taking things and yeah. selling things on the black market and putting in something different. I mean, just saying <laughs> yeah. that that goes on because I, I know that goes on in Africa when I you know I know that goes on in Africa and I know that goes on in other places. Uh, I, you know, so I'm just not trying to be, I'm going to choose to believe that that's not happening. Okay. So since we're on that topic really quick, and then I want to get back to what you need to consider if you're going to do this yourself is, um, there was a time when we were, could donate our expired drugs to other countries, but that's no longer something that's kind of acceptable. Correct? No, they yes. throw anything expired. It gets tossed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not good enough for us, why right. would we want right. to give it to other And they human really beings? do. And they have access to all of those medications. I just went this mm-hmm. last time and went to the pharmacy and took every medication we could possibly want and what the cost was for it 
and is, does it make sense for us to bring it in? And it was much cheaper for us to buy all the medications local in right. Haiti. Okay. And we want to serve the Haitians and we want to increase their, you know, um, when you buy stuff local, right? We want to buy yeah. as much local as we can yeah, and try not to bring stuff economy. in. Mm-hmm. We want to really support the economy. Mm-hmm. So as little things as we can bring in is best. Okay. Um, so we bring more things like... Um, Chucks and (laughs) and instruments and things that you can't buy there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and what's, you you mentioned a volunteer fee. So can Mm -hmm. you talk more about what the cost is Mm -hmm. if someone wants to do something like this? Yeah. Yeah. So some things you have to be concerned about when you're traveling there is if you're used, if you don't travel well in a low resource area, then you might not be comfortable. So we sleep Mm -hmm. in bunks with mosquito netting. Mm -hmm. It's, there's like nine, um, there's like nine beds and it's really close quarters and you can't, like I said, you can't drink the water. You can't, they cook food for us in the birth center. So it's 1500 if you want to go for, I think that's for a seven or a 12 day visit and it's 1500. So you get to stay at the birth center. You stay upstairs is where the living quarters are and downstairs is where the clinic is and the births happen. And so that's all your food at the birth center. Mm-hmm. They have cooks there that bring us delicious food, which is lovely. And they have clean water for us. And there's one bathroom for all of the people, all the volunteers and the midwives that live at the birth center. Okay. And they live there and take one week off a month and go back to their village, wherever they're from, to visit their families. Okay. So it's, you know, there's well, no temperature control. It's really hot. And What's airfare? Airfare is about... I'd say about a thousand. It's pretty cheap. You go LA to Miami or wherever you're traveling, you all the flights to Haiti come out of Miami. So that's usually the least expensive part. And then it's Miami to Cap Haitian. That's the most expensive. And how long is the flight? Miami to Cap is like mm, an hour and a half or something. It's okay. a quick flight out of Miami. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, any, if you're talking to some, you know, what else would you say to someone who's thinking about doing this? How do they get involved? Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you, want people to know about supporting the work that's happening down there the support the support is instrumental for keeping the birth center running Mm -hmm. and serving i forget i think they do i don't even know the numbers of women they serve per month it's huge especially it's just huge um and the other thing you get to do when you go there is we go out and do these mobile clinics so we then travel to these very remote villages where those women can't come in for prenatal care and do care in those villages, which is really amazing. And Haiti is beautiful. It's in the Caribbean. It's fantastic. Um, once you get beyond, you know, your initial shock of what it looks like, but it's it's quite beautiful. Yeah. So, um, is there a website? Is yeah. How so it's mamababyhaiti.org, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And they can always reach out to me because I can point them in the right direction to get set up. I'm going to hopefully be leading a team um, in. September. So I'll be going over in September for about 12 days. And how do people get a hold of you? They can go to uh, Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at scvbirthcenter.com. It's my birth center, Santa Clarita Valley Birth Center. And they can reach out to me. And it's, it's really fantastic. And I urge everyone, if you have the means to do a trip to a developing country and serve. It's and, so rewarding. And if they can't? There is there a way to on yes. their website to financially mm-hmm. support the you set up as a monthly donor uh-huh. and ten bucks a month is goes a long way in Haiti. It's really tremendous. And this is at the mama baby babyhaiti.org yes. website. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Any other questions, Stu? No, we wrap that was a up? great interview, by the way. <laughs>
I just you. I just love just sitting here and and watching you guys interview. It was it was a great interview. You're both well, terrific. I could have talked to you about a million different things. I'm yeah. so glad. I know you're like, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, uh, we'll find well, plenty. And, and Renee and I have a long history together too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done a lot of fascinating births together. So yeah, I know we, you bring yeah. her name up a lot, which is why I was yeah. like, we should bring her in. That right. would be super great. fun. Super right. yeah, fun. Maybe we'll have you. We've had Beth come and just kind of sit and talk with us about just general stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll. We know you're busy, but we're so glad that you came down and and it's nice to see you face to face. Guys, thank you yeah. so much. It was really fun. I'd love to come back. Great. great. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Hi, it's you and me I'm again. Back. <laughs> <laughs> I went out for coffee. That's right. <laughs> that was a, like I said. That was a great interview. Yeah. No. I mean, I I just am you're fascinated very, very with this good, work. You're very good at this, and Renee I'm is an unbelievable guest. Yes. Unbelievable is. guest. Yes, All right. Yes. So here's the quiz. Her last oh, name boy. is. Sicigliano. No. <laughs> That's how we've always said it, by the way. Sicignano. Sicignano. Yeah, Sicignano. It's like Evangelini. It's like a sauce that you put on spaghetti. I want the Sicignano sauce. Sicignano. Forgive uh, me. Well, listen, this was a great thing, and I hope that people will go to uh, mamababyhaiti.org. Yeah, me too. And donate, and if you have the time to do it, you know, I've gone on a trip uh, for cure cervical cancer to Vietnam, and I've also gone to Africa. You know, I would consider it. Renee's gonna, she's definitely gonna get me there. I know that this is gonna happen sooner we or later. Do it but once I once I slow down, once things change, because right now I am a solo practitioner. Yes. And it's very hard for me to leave. Yeah. Uh, but this has been podcast number one sixty eight. All right. We hope that you um, enjoyed listening to Renee and Bliss do their interview. And we know again that as I always say, you have plenty of podcasts to listen to. There's just so many on your app, but we're glad that you pick ours to do so. Yes. Again, you can find us at uh, birthinginstincts.com for the website or birthingbliss.com. And please write us and let us know what you thought about the interview and give us a good review. And you can write us at askdrstew at gmail.com or birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Until next time, we hope you all stay healthy and just be relish in the fact that uh, the, of the luxuries in life that we have in the, in the United States and how good we have it here. And be nice to your neighbor and love more. Hashtag. <laughs> Bye-bye.